I heard some uh, chatter this morning just about how brisk and cold it was. Um, I think the coldest I heard was on the bridge uh, in Tabernash was negative 22. Did anybody record lower than that this morning? 27? 25? It's a cold one today. Well, Merry Christmas on this cold, brisk day, Um, and just want to welcome you to our series. We're in the fourth week of our series, The Gifts of Christmas, as we're talking about the gifts that God gives to us, as well as those gifts uh, that we're called to give to others. You know, as we think about just this whole series and the idea of gifts, you know, it sort of begs the question, like, why gifts? Like, why do we give gifts at Christmas? Where, where does this come from? Um, well, there's a couple pieces uh, to that answer of why we give gifts at Christmas. I think the first one probably comes because that's what took place uh, near the first Christmas. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to follow along with us, you can do so in the Bible app. Or if you brought a Bible, you can use yours or there should be one under your seat if you'd like to do that as well. And so uh, here's, here's what it says uh, in Matthew chapter 2 is Matthew is telling uh, the story of the coming of Jesus. And in Matthew 2, starting verse 10, it says, when they, and they is referring to the wise men from the east. If we had backed up a few verses, we would have, we would have known that. But jumping at this point in the story, these are wise men from the east who, who came to, to find this newborn uh, baby, probably not a newborn baby by the time they got there, but uh, that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the very first Christmas, or, or at least the very first Christmas story, incorporates gift giving. That these wise men came to give gifts to Jesus and his mother in celebration of Jesus coming to this earth. But I think the idea of us giving gifts expands even beyond this. If you look at John 3.16, speaking of the coming of Jesus, this is one that I'm guessing many of us are familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That Christmas is about giving. That God gave his son, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of Jesus, the giving of God's son. Now, it would be a great time to talk about Jesus as the first and the ultimate gift of Christmas. But if it's okay with you, we're going to save that for our Christmas Eve service. And I want to look at something different in this verse. And rather than focusing just on the greatest and the first gift, I want to talk about the motivation of this gift. For God so loved. For God so loved. Love was the motivation of this first Christmas gift. Now these words are actually spoken by Jesus himself in John chapter 3. And Jesus actually taught quite a bit about love. Um, Not only the love of his Father who sent him, but the love that God puts in our hearts and that we're called to share to others. 
Not only was love a motivation of the first Christmas gift, but love is a gift that we're called to give to others. For a minute, let's just look at some of the things that Jesus said about love. We could go to John chapter 15. Now let me set the stage before we go there. John chapter 15 uh, takes place during Jesus' final evening uh, with his disciples. He's going to spend that evening uh, sharing supper with them. Uh, He's going to spend some time just giving them some honest advice and encouragement, knowing what they're about to endure, and then he prays for them. And after they're done, they get up, they leave that room where they had eaten together, and that night Jesus will be arrested, he will be betrayed, he will be tried, and the following afternoon he will be executed. So this is his last evening with his disciples He opens the evening by washing their feet. The disciples are confused, rightly so. And Jesus even tells them in that moment, hey, you you don't understand what I'm doing now. And, And then he just throws out this line, but later you will. Now, why none of the disciples stopped and said, when's later? Like, when will we understand what you're doing? But Jesus just said, you're not gonna understand what I'm doing now, but later you will. And then he tells them, it's time for me to leave. And where I'm going, you can't come with me, but I'll come back. And then he says this in John 15. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now again, even in that moment, the disciples didn't fully appreciate the significance of what he was saying. But this commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Just before that in John 13, Jesus told them this, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And he says this in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say everyone will know you're my disciples by your bumper stickers. Everyone will know you're my disciples by your good behavior. Everyone will know you're my disciples by your, by your jewelry, wearing a little cross around your neck. No, he said, everyone will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That we are to love one another as he has loved us. And then following this discussion, Jesus is going to pray for his disciples. Now, how many of you in here would love to have Jesus pray for you? Can you imagine how awesome it would be if Jesus was like, hey, can I just pray for you? You'd be like, uh, yeah, please. So I want to, I want to share part of this prayer with you. Okay. John 17. We're going to start in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now take a minute and stop. We're going to keep reading. Do you realize the significance of what Jesus just said? 
He's praying with his disciples. And he says, God, I'm praying not only for these right here, but for all those who are eventually going to believe through their word. You know who that includes? That includes you. Just before Jesus would be arrested and go to the cross, he prayed for you. He knew you by name. Now, he didn't use your name, but he prayed for you. And this is what he prays. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So the world will know we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. And as Jesus expands on this idea in his prayer that that our unity with one another, that represents and models the unity that Jesus had with his Father in heaven, is going to be a billboard to the world It says, God loves you. I don't know uh, how many of you have ever spent time with someone in their final moments before passing. Um, For better and for worse, that's a part of the job description, uh, being in ministry and a pastor, is spending some time with people in those last moments, often praying for them, speaking truth, reading scripture, letting them share and talk. But when people have the opportunity, it's not always possible, but when people have the opportunity to choose their last words, when on their deathbed, when they have the opportunity to speak to people they care about around them, they choose their words very carefully. And those words carry a lot of weight. I want you to think about some of the passages we just read. Jesus spoke all of those. Those were his words. But they were written down by who? John 3.16, spoken by Jesus, written down by John. Good. John chapter 13, spoken by Jesus, but written by? Yeah. John 15, spoken by Jesus, written by? Good. If you're ever scared to answer a question in church, we're giving you freebies here. You can jump in. You'll know the right answer. John 17, prayed by Jesus, but written by? John, John, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, who was there for all of these moments. John, who shared that last supper with Jesus. John, who sat there and listened to Jesus teach just moments before he'd be arrested. John, who sat in that room as Jesus prayed over him. It was impactful. John not only wrote the Gospel of John, which was his account of the life of Jesus, he also wrote several letters. Can I just read you a few passages from his first letter? I'm not going to put all these up on the screen. I'm just going to read through them quickly. But I want you to listen for the impact that that final night with Jesus must have had on John. Look at just one of his letters, 1 John 2.10. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John 3.14, We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. John, 1 John 3.16-18, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This one's a little bit longer. 1 John 4, 11 through 21. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also we are in this world there is no fear in love but love perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves god must also love his brother those final words of Jesus had a tremendous impact on John as he reflected on the love of God. And when we experience that love of God, how it should transform us and the way we interact with, are united to, and love others. Now, John didn't just give us practical refreshers on that we are to love. He's not going to just tell us the how, but he also dives in for a moment into the why. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love is from God. And God is love. And this is, this is why those who claim to know God must love others. Because if you don't, then you couldn't know God. If you don't love others, if love isn't a gift that you offer to others, it says a lot about whether or not you really know God. Because Love comes from God, and God is love. He's going to continue. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. 
I mean, the reality is we celebrate it always, but, but especially at Christmas. That the love of God was made manifest among us. That Jesus' coming was the embodiment of God's love for us and the world. And this is love that God initiated and sent His Son for us. Jesus came, not only as a gift from God, but love was also a gift. That before any of us could ever love God, He loved us. Before we could do anything, He took the first step. Now there's this phrase, probably a word that you haven't yet used today. Probably didn't wake up over your morning cup of coffee and use the word propitiation. Um, But we'll use it today. So propitiation literally means to remove wrath. Jesus came to remove God's wrath for our sins. Now, initially, it almost seems like, like there's, there's some inconsistency here, right? Like, okay, wait, wait, God is love? Then how in the world could he also have wrath? Like, aren't those polar opposites of one another? How could those exist together in God? I mean, if he's love, how, how could he be so wrathful? But here's the reality. The opposite of love isn't wrath. The opposite of love isn't even hate or anger. Really, the opposite of love is indifference. Think about it this way. Would you be angry if someone harmed someone you loved? A child? A sibling? A grandchild? A parent? If someone harmed someone you genuinely loved, it would produce anger in you. If someone that was close to you was harmed and you didn't care, that would be a sign that there was no love there. It is because God is love. It is because of his love that there's wrath over our sin. Because our sin has separated us from him. Because the creation he loves has been separated from him. Earlier we read John 3.16. What I want to do is just go back and read a verse or two after John 3.16 to kind of finish the idea that Jesus was sharing and communicating there. John 3.16 for... God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Look at that phrase in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe 
is condemned already. Our sin has fractured that relationship with our Creator. It's His wrath over sin and the separation it caused that because of His love, He sent His Son. Wrath isn't the opposite of love. Wrath is the expression of when something or someone you love is hurt. When something's been destroyed. Jesus coming was the ultimate gift of love because God stepped in to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. To be that propitiation for our sins. To remove God's wrath. To give His life. Just as Jesus said, love has no, no one greater than this, that He lay down His life for a friend. That Jesus expressed His ultimate love for us in giving up His life for us. I want to read one more passage to close. Ephesians chapter 2, speaking of our sin and the condition we are, we are in because of our sin. Here's what Paul, the writer of this letter, says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because of our sin, all of us are spiritually dead. Because of sin, we're all under the wrath of God. Just as we looked at in John 3, 18. That we stand condemned already. That's the state that we exist in. But God, because of His great mercy, because of His love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul would go on to say, it's not of any work that you or I do so that no one has room to boast. None of us earned God's love. It was freely given. At Christmas, we celebrate the gift of Jesus, which is a gift of God's love for us. And just as Jesus said, for those of us who've been loved by God like that, we are called to love one another. Christmas is an opportunity and a time 
to reflect on and remember the love that God has for us and has freely given to us. And it is a call to action, a call to love others. Sometimes the holidays can be the hardest time to do that. But we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time that you have given us to to just slow down for a minute. Amidst all the, the chaos and busyness that the holidays often bring, by your grace you've given us the gift of this moment to reflect on your love. That you loved us before we ever loved you. That we love only because you first loved us. Lord, as we ponder, as we reflect upon, as we consider, and as we celebrate your love, would you not only stir in our hearts a return love for you, but also a love for others. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're going to enter into a time of response. A time to respond to who God is and what he's been speaking in our hearts and our lives this morning. Uh, the communion table is available in the back. During that final supper that Jesus had with his disciples, when many of those events in John 13 and 15 and 17 took place, Jesus took bread and he broke it, representing his broken body for us. He took a cup and said that this now represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians all over the world have taken the bread and the cup to remember him giving his life for us, the greatest message of love. And so during this response time, we'd like to invite you to the table to take the bread and the cup, Christ's broken body for you, his sp spilled blood for you, his sign and testimony of his great love for you. And as we do that, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song called One Thing Remains. I want to read you a few of the words that we're going to sing. It says, this one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love. And on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul. The idea of this song, part of it comes out of Romans chapter 8. I want to read some verses out of Romans 8 for you. And then we'll begin to respond in song and at the table. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He will go on to say in verse 37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This morning you may feel separated from the love of God. And if you've given your life to Him, if you have confessed Him as your Lord, if you have believed that after dying on the cross for your sins that God raised him from the dead, nothing can separate you from his love. No person, no sin, no circumstance can separate you from his love. And if you've never done that, if you've never believed on him and confessed him as your Lord, this is your moment. Your moment to give your heart and your life to him to be reunited to God because of his love and to never again be separated from it. Lord, thank you for who you are and the ways in which you're speaking and moving this morning. Would you be honored by the way that we respond to you, whether in thought and meditation and prayer, in song or at the table, as we celebrate your great love for us and as we are called to action to love all those around us. Thank you. Thank you for loving us first. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name.